Welcome to Coffee and Change. I'm Bill Kirst. As a business professional, a U.S. veteran, a lifelong learner, and an active listener, I help others navigate, understand, and adapt to our ever-changing workplace and world. As a third culture kid, I call many places home. Presently, Seattle is where I explore my creativity through the power of words and images. In this podcast, we journey with our guests, gaining knowledge and inspiration from their stories. Today's story comes from Brendan McQueenie. Brendan is a user experience design manager at LinkedIn. In November of 2018, Brendan wrote an article on LinkedIn titled, You May Not Be My Leader, My Personal Philosophy on Design Leadership. And this article not only caught my eye, but spoke to my heart. I believe we are at an unprecedented crossroads in leadership, from design to development to delegation. The whole definition needs to be rewritten based on new ways of working to address the new challenges that can't be solved with the tools we learned and courses we sat through. So where do we begin? Well, I'm hoping for you, it may begin in the power of reading the words of Brendan McQueenie, who courageously shared how he decided to construct his own personal philosophy of leadership after completing a master's in information design and strategy. Brendan puts the power back in the hands of each leader to revisit the assumed methods and measures of leadership. Enjoy the discussion. Thanks for having me. Of course, yeah. No, I'm, I'm excited to dive into this um, and, and chat with you a little bit. I think when we last connected, or since we last connected, I mentioned I shared that LinkedIn post of yours mm-hmm. with a group of people that I um, that I lead sort of what I what I've been calling like a campfire or um, fireside chat, if you will. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it was our topic of um, it was our topic of discussion. Was your blog post that you posted awesome. on LinkedIn? I think it was. Was it in 2018 when you posted that? Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, okay. it was a while ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was nice to nice to uh, see it had some legs and then be able to read it again and kind of refresh my memory of you know that point in time and that philosophy that I kind of laid down for myself and yeah 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 it's a good well, refresher. It's, it's, not only did it have legs, it um, it it completely transformed the discussion, frankly, that we had. Um, And I think I may have mentioned to you, there was one particular employee of mine who um, literally took the article and it helped her make a very courageous decision. Wow. That's really nice to hear. (laughs) That's really sweet. That's that's great. I mean, if if it had that impact on someone, it's amazing and feels good. Um, Was there a particular thing that stood out and helped her? Yeah, I think if I pull it up, there was specifically, I actually had this up earlier, there was a specific line that she cited, um, and I'm going to pull it up here really quickly, and the quote from the IDEO CEO, IDEO. you said, so well, you quoted, yep. leadership is a craft, yeah, uh-huh. I, sorry, IDEO, <clears throat> you said, leadership is a craft, if you practice it enough, you can master it, 
um, and you said how the statement aligns with your philosophy and that leaders are not always born, but can emerge into assigned leadership roles and practice through hard work. Yeah, that's, that's the one that really resonated with me is I've always had that voice in my head of doubt and, you know, of am I a leader? Am I not? What am I? And it's, is it presumptuous to, you know, the claim that you are one, uh, but being able to see that other people have thought about it and the way um, that was articulated was that, you know, they're not necessarily born. You can grow into it. You can practice it. You can become one was sort of the aha moment for me as I was going through that uh, work. Yeah. And what, what I think really stood out to this particular individual was this person applied to a job that was a dream job for her. And she also thought, you know, I think a lot of us fight that imposterism, right? We fight it every single day and we say, nobody's going to select me or I'm not, I'm not going to get this role. And, um, she got the role and, um, what really resonated with her was that, that line. Um, and she's now actually going to go train future coaches. So it's, she's, she's literally going into a role where she's going to train future leaders. Um, and that's something that, you know, it's, it's in her blood. Um, it's in her core, but to have that ability to, to feel it and know that like, this isn't something that, you know, you, you, you're just born with, you can emerge, emerge with it is, um, is an important part of this. Um, so yeah, I just wanted Definitely. to share that with you. Um, because awesome. here, here, you know, not only does it have legs, but it's changing people's lives in 2021. <laughs> wow. <laughs> when you put it that way, that sounds great. That's awesome. It's a great story. Yeah, so my name is Brendan McQueenie, and I'm currently a design uh, leader at LinkedIn. Um, I found my way into design uh, in college, where I was majoring in psychology and marketing. Uh, but when I took a computer science course back in the day uh, and learned how to program uh, websites, it's kind of where a, a light bulb went off and, and the possibilities of what could be done on the web and with layout uh, really struck me. So right after graduation, I took a course in design, um, much to, uh, you know, the chagrin of the family, possibly, um, and never looked back. So I, I kind of dove into design, took some courses in, in Burlington, Vermont, where I was living at the time, uh, from just a local shop, and just learned from mentors along the way and found, you know, the next job and um, ex got exposed to programming, uh, print design, layout design, visual design, um, eventually, you know, moving down to Massachusetts and out to the West Coast in San Francisco, where I am today. Um, just having great mentors along the way has really helped me grow and, and become, you know, the designer that I am today. So um, you had mentioned much to your family's chagrin, you took that web, that web design class. What was it that they would have preferred you take? Well, I just, uh, I was in my senior year when I, I, I found that computer science course. Uh, so I was, there was no turning back from having a degree in psychology and marketing, right? Um, but, you know, I, I would say both of those uh, disciplines have panned out to be very helpful, uh, turned out to be very helpful, you know, as a designer, as a user-centered designer, getting inside the mind of the user, building empathy with the users, aligns with that psychology background and, and the marketing um, side of everything is just good to know the business side of things as well. So you're not just a designer, but you're business minded as well. And I think that's what every um, 
designers need to be today. They can't just be concerned about the pixels on a screen or, or things like that. They should have the full picture. Yeah, it's interesting. One of my, my uh, earlier interviews that I had uh, was with a guest who actually started her career in family counseling, and she's now in design um, and branding. And the way she described it is exactly what you're saying, which is, you know, to, to understand kind of the human experiment, the human condition is an extremely important part of design uh, and empathy uh, when you're designing things for people's experiences. Um, and so, yeah, that makes a lot of sense that you had that psychology background. Um, so you started off in Vermont, then Massachusetts, then moved west. Is that right? Yep. Yeah, yeah. I was in Vermont, you know, for school, stayed there a total of seven years in, in the Burlington area. I moved down to the Boston area. I lived in Dorchester uh, for about four years and then moved out west to San Francisco in 2004. So I've been, been out here a while now. Yeah, that's uh, I think that was the same year I finished grad school. It was 2004 in Washington, D.C. Um, and that's, nice. when, that's when I commissioned into the Army as well. So seems like a long wow. time ago, 2004, <laughs> a lot's changed. Right. A lot has changed. Um, yeah. yeah, but like on that topic, though, one of the things obviously that I came across was this blog that you wrote in 2018 on your personal philosophy of leadership. Um, I can't even remember how I stumbled across it, but I'm really glad I did. Um, I feel like this article has many dimensions and I've revisited a few, a few times. Um, but I would love to just hear a little bit of the story about how it came to be. Um, I mean, first of all, it's a beautiful piece of writing. There's so much in it that I've taken away. My teams have taken away. Um, as you said, who, who would have thought that this thing, you know, three years later would have a whole resurgence, but it has, but would love to hear the story about how it came about. Cause it's really powerful. Oh, thank you. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, it, it wasn't my idea, um, to come up with this. It, it was a part of the curriculum as I went back to school for my, my master's, uh, there was a leadership course. He, he had this structure for it, this, this personal philosophy of leadership, and it was extremely robust. Uh, and the article that I wrote was, um, uh, just a fraction of really the the work that it went into that went into it. I think it was probably it ended up as being about a twenty page paper. Uh, so I, I, you know, did a lot of research on it. Did a lot of the the internal introspection work uh, around it too, and had the had this thesis of sorts. Uh, so I wanted to make it digestible for a different audience, not just an academic audience. Uh, so I, it, and in doing so, it really helped me kind of hone in on, on the important parts and cut out a lot of the fluff and just so I could really articulate, um, you know, the, this, the aspects of leadership that resonate with me. Yeah, I think the, the part that I really, there were lots of parts that I really enjoyed, but the part that, that I love that you kind of put a stake in the ground was um, the importance of introspection. So this whole, you know, you were introspective and then you took this experience-based view with introspection and then you mapped it on top of what is essentially your impressions of leadership throughout different periods of your life. So it kind of unfolded like this, like this origami as I read it. And, um, and even in the LinkedIn post, you've got visuals in there too, which, which are sort of mapped out. Would love for you to talk a little bit about what was that experience like to do that much introspection and then take your experience-based view 
based on what life was like growing up. Cause you even cite going back to like childhood years and adolescent years. And I think those are things that I'll be the, the first one to tell you. Oftentimes I don't look back to those years. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, like, yeah, yeah, I know. Right. Yeah. It was interesting. Um, it was interesting, especially to, to, with the lens of leadership, because you don't think about that um, as a, as a child, really like how, how you perceived it. So it, it was a fun exercise. I think just, it, it fit my, my personality, my mindset, and, and as a designer who likes just finding patterns in the noise, right, and, and, and finding, being able to tell that clear story. So um, going back, it was difficult. It, it was not easy to really um, think about a period of time, a set, you know, as adolescence, as, as an example, like that, that period of years, like what stood out, and like, so I really had to go back and think, of you know different teachers different uh, coaches and things like that and and just adults in my life um, who were leadership figures and how I felt about them um, and what resonated so that I had I had my desk full of sticky notes of you know qualities and, and values and emotions and, and all of these things here that that finally um, came together for each segment that I broke down of my life um, these, these things just bubbled to the top and then across the, the entire spectrum from childhood to that point in time in 2018, seeing the pattern, seeing the ones that stuck throughout my life was the real aha moment. It was like, okay, there are these things that I was pulled towards or, or felt comfortable around or was attracted to, or, or you know, was motivated by or inspired by these type of of qualities in these people. And that was, that was fascinating. That, that moment was like, ah, that's why I learned so much from this person. Or that's why I really enjoyed that course. Or that's why I played that sport or, you know, the different types of people that I would have never made those connections uh, if I hadn't thought that deeply on it. Yeah. And, and I think, um, I mean, that in itself is the hard work, right? Is going and doing the inner work and the introspection. And, and the, the, there's three kind of pillars or, or values that, that I really, you know, zoned in on when I read the article, especially in the adolescence, young adult portion that you kind of map out, you know, those being creativity, collaboration, and empathy. And one of the questions I have for you is I've discovered, you know, probably in the past five to 10 years that through things like, um, you know, strength finders and disc assessment. And there's a number of things that you cite later on in the article. You've probably taken all of those models and all of those tests and all of those quizzes, right? Um, empathy comes up as my number one consistently on every one of those. And it's and it's really interesting. And, and, and I'd like to share this experience with you and get your reaction and thoughts. I remember when I did this exercise with my peers, my work peers, a number of years ago. And you can imagine you're, you're in a boardroom, you got all these people filling out their strength finders and you know, you share your results. Uh, and mine was empathy. And it was really interesting. I was with a group, a sort of breakout group. And they said, well, what's your number one? And I said, empathy. And there were three men and one woman in that group that I was in. And when I said empathy, all three men, their shoulders dropped and they said, oh man, I'm sorry. And the woman went, she leaned in and she was like, oh, that's amazing. <laughs> and what a very interesting reaction. And I think in re in retrospect, I can understand where some of some of those men came to that answer or that response, because some people interpret empathy with weakness or 
or vulnerability, right? And what was really interesting was the, the woman in the group was like, that's amazing, tell me more. And when you read the Strength Finder's definition of empathy, it actually shows you it's a superpower. And I had to sort of re, sort of rescape the minds of some of those, those men who were approaching this from a place of, of uh, sympathy and saying, oh, dude, I'm sorry. Like, and I was like, no, to be clear, like, I get to, this means I get to walk into a room, say no words, have no exchange, and I, can, I, already mad, I automatically know the kind of morning every single person has had, and I can pick up on that. And they're like, really? I'm like, yeah, like, it's kind of a superpower. Now, it can be really challenging, but yeah. And it shows you have a concern for how other people are feeling, right? Mm-hmm. And it's just being able to get in their shoes and, and understand their point of view, whether you know whether it's a debate, whether it's mm-hmm. just um, how their day is going, or, or anything. Right. Uh, I would say those those three gentlemen that didn't think that that was a good thing for you, uh, I would not want to work for them. Well, and it, it became a really interesting <laughs> yeah. opportunity, Brendan, for me to say, what do I do with that? And what it allowed me to do is actually further educate them and others on the, the sort of misunderstanding of what that is. Um, but the reason I bring that up is because empathy is literally across three phases of your, of your mapping consistently in adolescence, young adult, and today. So, I would love to hear from from your standpoint, obviously, as a designer that comes up, as someone who studied psychology that comes up, we're in a world of pandemic. And those of us that are empaths, right, our circuits are really overloaded right now. So knowing that's a strength of yours, knowing that's a a piece you pull on for your your leadership philosophy, how is that showing up for you today? So in relation to the pandemic, uh, times that we're in, I, I mean, you know, empathy has just always been a core value, but even more so now where, um, you know, the definitions of what's acceptable for, um, levels of effort, um, ability to be present, uh, and it's all changed. You know, you have people with childcare, their kids are there. They have to actually like put them in, teach them some People I know who are working have to like teach their kids now, right? Like there's all of these variables that are just really difficult um, and, and drastically different than the world we were in. And if you didn't have empathy for that, if, if your organization didn't have empathy for that, you would lose a lot of people. Uh, you wouldn't have anyone, you wouldn't have, you know, happy people. You wouldn't, you would just be on an island unto yourself if you couldn't adapt and, and understand how people are feeling and dealing with this. And I think that's part of the reason that a lot of the resurgence in like wellness and things have, have surfaced, especially during these times. And, um, you know, making sure it's important as a leader to make sure like your employees are okay, that they're well and that they're taking the time that they need. So, um, you know, maybe their hours are cut or maybe they just need a day off or, or here and there. Like, in the past, that might be like, oh, well, let me let me check. It's you've been taking a lot of time off. Now it's just okay. Take care of yourself, and and you know, come back stronger. Come back when you're ready. Like, just fix what you need to fix, uh, or or handle if it's an errands or whatever. Or you have to take care of the kids because the wife needs to do something. It's great. Um, so yeah, it's just I think it's just a skill that is is just been amplified, or you know, for today. 
Yeah, and I and I and I think that's partly because um, this has been kind of the 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 great common reset for all of us. We've all gone through it together, and I don't I don't know if it, there's anything in our generation where we've gone through something as as unified and unanimous before. Um, and and with that comes, like you said, the empathy, the wisdom, the collaboration. We got to work together. Um, the other one you said was creativity, um, and I think that runs very strong in you and your work. Clearly, is in your design work. Um, you're also a photographer. I believe you're a, a, a an aficionado of music. I think you used to love to go to shows and not only listen to music but also photograph them. So, can you talk a little bit about the creativity that the cord of creativity that runs through you and how it how how you keep it close, how it, how it shows up in your life? Yeah. I, um... You know, I, I think that's part of the reason I, I chose the career I'm in. Uh, it, it was always something from childhood um, on, you know, from painting, drawing, and all that stuff. It was always um, reinforced growing up uh, as, as something I could do. Um, as I got older into, like, high school age, I was lucky enough to inherit uh, my sister's dark room that was in her basement, right? It was, you know, just... Um, some chemicals and lights and things and and that was uh, a sparked a moment of this new craft that I could do and 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 really control and just share a vision that was purely my own um, I think that's why it's kind of stuck with me and it's kind of come in ebbs and flows and in waves throughout my life um, I would say when I started doing like the concert photography and uh, portrait work and, and other stuff and really taking it on that was in reaction to um, probably the work at the time where it, it's as as a service you're you're working for clients or you're working for an organization and doing the things you need to do to pay the bills um, while also enjoying it um, but the photography for me was just an outlet where I could be in this loud crazy space and do whatever I want and chase light around to try and get a photograph. And um, that was just a nice kind of like me time, um, even though I was surrounded by, you know, thousands of people. But it was just me and the camera through the lens uh, for those 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 things. And it was a nice just I get to say what goes, uh, you know, and what I get to develop and take out of that. Um, not that collaboration isn't great and, and, and working with a team is great, but it was just that sort of freeing solo stuff that was, you know, just needed sometimes to have that quiet space and uh, do what you want to do. Yeah. I mean, I love, I love the way you describe it. It's, it's sort of without boundaries, right? You, you can do this work in a way and, and it's also very juxtaposed. You describe it as this quiet space and quiet time, but you're in the middle of a rock show <laughs> and so it's just like Brendan in his head and his camera with his lens and chasing light. And to you, that's a quiet, restorative experience. Um, while to some people would be like, how is this anything remotely quiet when you're in the middle of, a, you know, it, it's such, an intense puncture? Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. With uh, shoes landing on my forehead and, and things. But it, I mean, it was I would leave there drenched in sweat and, and um, you know, worked up beyond belief probably but but it was very calming at the same time or at least looking back on it it was you know this moment in time you only have three songs typically when you're shooting for a venue so you only can only you only have a, like nine ten minutes uh to come away with something that you're going to be proud of so it was just, just go get it make sure it happens yeah all in and then when you walk away you could breathe 
And then it's just like this calm would always come over me and be like, wow, I think I got something. What I, you know, as someone who's uh, dabbled in photography as well, and I'm certainly nowhere near your skills, but uh, there's a euphoria that comes with that. Did I get the shot? You know, and, and I love that sense of there's that like trepidation and agitation just sort of under your sternum that you're like, man, through the eyes I saw and through the viewfinder, I know I got that shot, but I hope it turns up when I, <laughs> Oh is yeah. that still the case yeah. for you, even though we're in this whole world of digital and instant and all this other stuff? Oh, definitely. I still feel oh, that Oh, yeah, too. yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, at the end of the day, I did have to turn those photos in, uh, you know, to the venues uh, and the promoters. Uh, but, yeah, so if, if there was nothing good <laughs> I, was, I would have to that didn't happen very often like I, like I could always pull something out but you know I always wanted that like wow like oh everything is the the the, the lights perfect the expression the the movement the you know the, the cropping everything it's like yeah when those would happen I'd be so happy yeah uh, do you because you do so much creative work and design does it change the way you move through the world? Like, for example, if, if I'm walking through an airport um, and I see advertisement or whatever, like maybe it, I don't see the things you do. Um, I don't see things jump out to me or maybe I'm not as critical. Do you get to walk through the world and sort of be like, oh, man, no, you should have used that font. You should use that color. Whatever. Like, do you see that? Do you have sort of these super goggles that nobody else sees that you walk through the world with? Uh, probably. Um it, it's, yeah, I mean, it, it's, I could definitely be triggered by bad kerning or bad letting or, or the wrong font. Mm. Um, yeah, I could be set off pretty easily by just something that's, you know, misaligned and or just definitely a mistake. Um, I try not to obviously upset, I try to enjoy most things I see. But if, if there's the, that like glaringly thing that's off, then I'll probably focus on that and yeah, I, I have a couple <laughs> friends that do um, process consulting, like very specific process based consulting. And we always used to joke. Mm-hmm. I said, I don't know how you guys travel through airports because you're never relaxing. You're always finding things that could be improved <laughs> or like, you know, oh, when, yeah, you, when you go to a restaurant and it's uh, uh. they can't enjoy it because they're constantly remapping everything, the way that people come into the restaurant, the way the food is delivered. I'm like, guys, do you ever get it? Yeah, I, ha- I have. <laughs> No, I, no, that totally resonates. I, I, I feel the same way about things. Cause as, as we, like, just beyond the visual part of a design, like, part of our job is to think about the entire customer journey right. and the touch points that they interact with. So even as I'm, like, ordering food or something, I'm like, nope, this is a down point. Like, this exactly. point I did not enjoy, and, you know. And, yeah, yeah, it's, I, I'm mapping it out. And I'm like, oh, they could improve this here by doing this. And, uh yeah. Yeah, and yeah, and it's it, and it's and it kind of goes, you know, back to that aspect of your leadership philosophy, which I think look, leadership philosophy when you develop, it's probably a little bit like dating, right? You got to go through a lot of bad dates before you realize what's a good date. Um and yeah. people have gone through a lot mm-hmm. of bad leaders before they realize this is this is who my leader is. And the thing I really love, you know, about your um your article is you kind of base it on that standpoint of you may not be my leader. And that's okay. So I'm curious, like, right. yeah. do you hear, do you hear, do you talk to people a lot that approach it this way? Or are we still kind of in this realm of leadership development world where there's a lot of people who are grasping onto a certain model or a method or a tool and hoping if 
if their boss or their manager or their leader just goes through that training, they'll become that leader I want. I don't, I don't know if we could, we have the luxury of being like that specific about mm. it. Um, at least for me, for me, I, you know, I've come in contact with leaders throughout my career where some were great and some were not so great, mm-hmm. but every single one I learned something right. from, you know, you learn what not to do, how not to be, uh, or how you should be, or, or how to motivate someone like, or how to approach a problem. Um, so I, I don't, I don't, I never had that luxury, you know, of doing that, um, but it's it's more of you take what you get, and if it's if if it's not something you're you're if you, if you don't think that person is your leader, you probably won't stay long right. Right. Um, working for them. And that's what they say about jobs: right? people don't leave jobs; they leave their they managers. Bosses. Or, yeah. They leave bosses, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. Um, and I think that makes perfect sense. Yeah, I mean, it's very much still a uh, it's a relationship. In in you know, you spend a lot of time um, in these in these workplaces. Um, you know, the, the aspect that, uh, that learning plays in this as well. There was actually something I wrote a couple years ago. Um, and I think I intentionally put the graphic on the top of the LinkedIn article that was one of those sort of error 404 page not found. Um, and the reason I put that up there was, and it was on top of like an image of a road kind of going off into the distance was this aspect of, you know, and this was probably pre pandemic, but not, not too much before that, that, we're, we're, we're going to places where like, we're going to get this web page does not exist, right? We're, we're, we're taking on challenges where the textbook's not written yet. Um, and, and how do, how do, you know, leaders perform in that, uh, ambiguity and that unknown. And I think, you know, from my time in the military, I know this, um, that's, that's the rehearsal. Like the rehearsal is the mission. Um, the minute you take the first step, it's changed. So you've, you know, you've worked, uh, in the space of design and experience design uh, for a long time. I'm curious from the standpoint of, of how leadership is, is focused on places like at LinkedIn and other places you've worked, is the role of that sort of resiliency, ambiguity, um, how you deal with uncertainty, is that as important as we think it is, those of us that are on the outside kind of seeing, seeing things being you know, designed for the, the human experience? Yeah, I, I think that's part of the job of a design leader specifically. I mean, is being comfortable in that uh, ambiguity, in that place that's uncomfortable, not knowing an answer or not knowing where something's going to go. Um, and, you know, it, it, it translates to the practice of design and, what, and how we work, like trying to find the signals in all of mm-hmm. Uh, in everything and, and to develop the insights to figure out what the opportunity is to what what to make or what to create or what to enhance um, so from that side I, it, it's definitely a part of the role if, as leadership um, I think we all just experienced a whole ton of uh, ambiguity and what's going on and what do we do in this pandemic um, and I think the thing that's made us strong at least in my current role and current company is the just the value the cultural value of having a growth mindset yeah. and being able to learn and and understand you're not going to get everything right um, especially if something's brand new right like you're allowed to fail um, and then correct um, and, and having that space and making sure that's a safe space not just for your designers but for leadership too because yeah. you know you can see it across the board like it's 
pandemic. Like, what's going on? Like, what do you do? And no one had the answer. So it's, it's you work and you iterate and you, you find your way there. And so as a leader in general to a design IC, like that, that whole, it, I think it spans the whole spectrum there. Yeah, I think there's, there's a, I, I like to believe that we've kind of afforded ourselves a little more grace in, the, in this time, which to your point around, try things out and we'll test and learn. Um, I think that's actually one of the areas that I tried to pull from a lot of my colleagues that do design, do customer experience. Um, this aspect of, you know, you might call it, and I, I, I apologize if I'm using the wrong terms, but sort of the A-B testing, sort of like, let's try this out and let's try this and see, see what works better. Um, this, this aspect of that, especially in my world of, of organizational change, there's so many times, Brendan, I wish I could do like an A-B test. <laughs> But when you're dealing with like half the company does this, half the company does that. But when you're dealing with like people's livelihoods and their sense of their sense of who they are and their persona, uh, it's challenging. And there's other times I remember years ago before the Apple Watch existed, I used to say to some of my colleagues when I worked at IBM, I said, what I want to develop is an app that uh, people can wear something that monitors their blood pressure, their heart rate, their, you know, their uh, heart rate variability when I'm actually talking about change and then I could see those, those, that data right away. I mean, now we can do this on the Apple watch, right? Um, which is helpful because what it shows, what it showed me was there's a lot of people oftentimes sitting in an audience or what used to be an audience pre pandemic and they'd all be head nodding and they'd say, yeah, absolutely. We're totally good with this, but their heart rate shows very differently. (laughs) Uh, their blood pressure shows very differently. And, and to me, the ability to kind of do that A, B, let's try this, let's try this and see what the response is. I'm starting to see that in the world of, of leading people through change. But I, I took that straight from like your world of, of design to say, let's try this and let's try this other thing and see what takes um, and, and leads to a better experience. And that, that feedback is a gift. That's the other thing too, is I've seen the involvement of the, the, the work that I've done over the past decade. It used to be we were we were so afraid of feedback. Um, we would just say, give it to them, make sure the plan is tight and rigid and there's no room for error and we'll get them through this. It's not how people want to be anymore. They want, they want the opportunity to iterate. They want to share feedback. Um, and so that's something I've, I've pulled directly from my colleagues in, in experience, you know, customer experience, experience design, product experience, uh, product marketers, product owners. I mean, these are all people that, I consider a huge resource for me when I'm leading people through change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's important to be able to test both sides or, you know, have, have options and be okay with that failure. I, I've had leaders before in my life that aren't, mm-hmm. that weren't. Mm-hmm. They say failure's not an option. Yeah. And you're like, but that's kind of what we do. Like we intentionally put things out there to see if they'll fail. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully they don't, but you know, that's, sometimes the way you get to the sweet spot, the right place, like you have to see what sticks. Um, usually you're going to be in the ballpark because you've done research and you've triangulated, you know, qualitative and quantitative data and everything at your disposal. But, um, you can't blanketly say, I don't believe in failure, uh, as a leader, uh, that disqualifies you as a leader for me. Right. <laughs> but, right. Yeah. And I've had that before. Yeah. And I, I think there was something else, you know, there's something else you said in the article, which I really appreciate. You said transformational leadership sees leaders as those who change to transform people. 
And I think if mm-hmm. you're in the mm-hmm. either in the business of transforming and growing people, you you can't strive for perfection and never get off the starting block, right? Like, I mean, if if right. that if that's yeah. your only way, you'll never get off the starting block. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what is it? What do they say? Perfection is the gets in the way of great, mm-hmm. right? Like you can't, you can't. You have to have to let it evolve. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Last couple of questions here. I'd love to kind of direct back towards where you're at now in terms of, you know, your career, your life. I love to ask people how they stay healthy and change. And I know this, it, this answer has evolved a lot in the past year and a half for people <laughs> than it was previously. But I would love to, to ask you this as well. Um, you got a lot going on. You've done a lot of amazing work. Um, you've inspired people you haven't even met yet, which is awesome. Um, how do you stay healthy and change, Brendan? Yeah, I, I, I think exercise for me has been something that helps clear my mind my entire life. Um, I'm not, you know, a marathon runner by any means or anyone who's close to perfectly in shape, but but exercise has always been sort of this this state that it gets me to a state of, of Zen type feeling uh, to a degree. But over the past you know, year plus, I've really gotten into meditation um, and mobility and, and others, just stuff that kind of has helped ground me and helped me see things a bit differently. I actually just had a um, someone else at work just was sharing this new type of meditation I haven't done before called sky meditation um, and sky breathing, um, which is great. It was nice to have that um, camaraderie around wellness and sharing knowledge and teaching that stuff. And, um, I think I'm getting off topic with that, (laughs) but the, um, but yeah, I mean, just, just being able, I think the way to deal with the change of things is, is you have to be grounded first. You have to be okay yourself first. Um, and that's where the sort of meditation and the introspection comes in and, um, helps. Because once you're centered, um, and it may, may sound hokey, but it's true. Once you're centered, like you can do anything, um, right? You're not reacting to everything in your face or everything that you see because you're centered, and you can choose what to engage with and choose how you react to it, not be reactive. Exactly. You can respond as opposed to react. That's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. No, I appreciate that. Well. Um, you're a designer, you're a philosopher, <laughs> you're a photographer. Um, I appreciate your time and I'm really grateful that you wrote that article. Um, and I stumbled upon it and I've shared it now far and wide. Um, it continues to generate a lot of discussion for, for a lot of young people that are, you know, at the stages of their career where they're asking these really important questions about who, who, who is the leader I'm looking for and who's the leader I want to be. So Thank you for sharing that. Um, and I appreciate the opportunity to, to join and hear a little bit more about your story and your background. And um, yeah, I really appreciate the time. Yeah, thank you for the, the kind words. And it's, it's, it's really, really nice to hear that it has had some impact. I wasn't expecting that. Um, so it's really nice to hear. I'm glad it has. And thank you for sharing it and inviting me here today. Of course. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for the time. I appreciate it.